I thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Ghost to bring transformation, to confront powers of darkness, and to redeem and deliver souls that are held captive. I thank you, Father, that your glory and your kingdom moves with power and authority. And Lord, I thank you that there is still today There's not a person, there's not a country, there's not a king who is above your authority. You have the power to save. You watch over your word to perform it. As our world today is turned inside out and so many are found sleeping, still your truth marches on. And still your glory and your kingdom is going to have the final say in everything that is done in this earth. And Jesus, you will come. You will rapture your church. You will convert Israel. And you will return to earth and establish your kingdom and your rule throughout this entire world. Everything you've said, everything you've promised, everything you've prophesied, you will do not only in regards to these prophetic events that we are anticipating, but Lord, just in the word that you've spoken over our individual life, that Lord, you can conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. You can do it. We trust you to do it. We believe you to do it. Our faith is in you to do it. And we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to live in faith and obedience to you, Father in everything that you show us, in the quickness to repent, to be right with you, to not have any shadow between us, Lord, because of love, because we love you, because you love us. Help me tonight. I am in desperate need of your help. Reveal to the people today what your intention is and what your call is. And Father, help us with a steadfastness, with a soberness, with a depth, not a shallow dance, but with a solid walk. Let us be soldiers of Jesus in this hour. I pray it for your sake, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. It's good to be with you tonight. I appreciate Those of you that were with us last night and those of you that are here tonight, you've returned. I just am so grateful to be able to minister to you tonight. I'd like to give my uh, thanks and my honor honor to Pastor Jonathan and Angela that I love very much. I just honor you tonight in this beautiful church. I really mean that, your friendship. Pastor Duke, I just honor you tonight. Such a steady and sure voice in our world. And I thank God for everything the Lord has allowed you to be in my life. So I honor you as well. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to begin in verse 12. That at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two Jews and Gentiles one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were near. 
For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, or all the building, fitly framed, grows together unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Last night I spoke to you directly from Revelation chapter 3, the church of Laodicea. We know clearly that Jesus identified this church as his. But we also recognize that in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus was knocking to get back in the church, saturated with self-worth, with riches, with power, with fame, technology, entertainment. Jesus was not needed. We can do this without him. We can do Pentecost without him. We can put a better show on than what the Holy Ghost can do. We can produce this every night. We can manipulate the people into making them think this is the gold when it's really the brass. And God's trying to get back in to his church so that he can bring into his church true riches, wealth, sight, clothing, righteousness, and joy in life that he wants to bring. Paul also prophesied of this condition in the last days, as we re referenced last night in 2 Timothy 3, that the church in the last days would have a form of godliness, but it would deny the power of God. Again, wanting to have the image of God, the image of godliness, but not the power of God. Again, God's not in it, but it wants to mimic Him, ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. However, the clear spoken statement of the Holy Spirit is that this thing that we call the church is the living body of Jesus Christ, made possible by his blood. That from the Jews and the Gentiles, from the moment that Jesus Christ would die and rise again, that church would begin to form, built upon the apostles and the prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, and this church would grow and this church would mature. And the whole purpose of the church, therefore the whole purpose of this camp meeting is not for you. It's for him. It's not for our personal benefit, if you will. It is for his glory in this hour. It is for his testimony in this hour. And so the purpose of the church in Ephesians chapter 2 states very clearly that this is a temple in which God is to dwell by the Holy Ghost. And whatever it is, whatever we may call it, if God is not indwelling it by the Holy Ghost, it is not the church. It is not the intention or the purpose of God. Now, we all have a role in that. We all have a purpose in this. And for the sake of time, I'll just simply reference 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in that chapter, Paul says that there are many gifts that are given to the body of Christ. There's gifts of wisdom and discernment and words of knowledge, gifts of power and miracles, faith, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Romans chapter 12 lists other gifts such as mercy and management and hospitality that comes into the body of Christ. God, the Holy Ghost, gifts all of us. We're all valuable to God. Therefore, Paul, or I would specifically say the Holy Spirit testifies in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, who's the one who really inspired the writing of it. He wanted the church to know that 
the ear cannot say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not the body. That simply means this, that because you're not on the stage, you cannot consider yourself irrelevant and inconsequential to the purposes of God. Because you look at somebody else, some other Christian, and consider them in a position of hierarchy above yourself, therefore better than you, and have an attitude that the church wouldn't even miss me if I didn't come. The church doesn't need me. I'm unimportant. I don't know what I contribute to the church anyway. I feel like I'm extremely irrelevant. Brother, sister, if you have been born of God, the Holy Ghost puts you in that body where it pleases Him. He doesn't put you in the body where you are necessarily talented. Because then you rely upon yourself. He puts you in the body where it demands faith so that you will rely upon God to do things through your life you cannot do without God. That's what we call a gift. It was given to you. Talents you're born with and you can develop. And it doesn't mean you won't use your talents in the church. But perhaps where the Holy Spirit is putting you is the most unlikely place for you to be. And you might be sitting there saying, I need to be on that stage. I'm the best singer. I'm the best preacher. I'm the best looking. And you get up on this stage and God the Holy Ghost says, that's like taking a fish and putting him on the land. That's not what I created you for. That's not where I need you to be. You might be pleasing yourself, but you're not helping the church. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Holy Spirit addresses this as well. Not only the irrelevance a person might feel, but he also deals with the pride that others might feel. For example, the eye might say, because you're not the ear, you're not the body. And nobody in the church of Jesus Christ should have that attitude. We stand up here on a platform simply so you can see us. Not because we're better than you, not because we're elevated, not because we're God's fate. We're actually the worst. We're the scum. We're the base. We're the nobodies. We're the, we're the ones constantly fighting depression every day. We're the ones constantly fighting and crying and wailing, oh God, the church is falling apart. I don't know what to do. That's us. Constant need of God. We're not better than anybody else. And, and the attitude that I'm better than you, I've been a Christian for 40 years. I know God more than you know God. Or, or I, I get to do this in the church. Or people recognize me. Or I've had five phone calls this week for people asking for counsel and prayer for me. Aren't I something? Aren't I special? Well, you might be, but don't have an attitude that you're better than anybody else. You're only doing what God's grace lets you do. And, and so the, the whole point of this is in the body of Christ, it is a fellowship made possible only by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nobody worked for it. Nobody earned it. Nobody bought their way into this. We simply came by faith in the grace of God. The Holy Spirit received us, put us in to the most incredible thing that has ever existed in the earth, the church of Jesus Christ. The living body of Jesus Christ. That is what we are. In Ephesians chapter 4, he likens it unto a human body. And that's what the fellowship of the church is. It's like a human body that cares for itself, that nurtures itself, that protects itself, that doesn't gossip about itself. I'm not going to get on Facebook and, and, and hammer myself and gossip about me, but yet you'll see people gossip about the church on Facebook. You might as well reach up into heaven and grab Jesus' beard and slap him in the face because it's his body we're touching. And we need to love the body of Christ. We need to minister in the body of Christ for its health, that it may thrive, because it's the habitation of God by the Holy Spirit, and that's what it needs to be. You see, I envision, I envision the church as this incredible man that started to walk in the earth 2,000 years ago. You know, it, it, the Bible tells us in Genesis that when God created Adam, he knew it was not good for him to be alone. So he laid Adam down and he put Adam into a deep sleep. He opened up Adam's side and he took a rib and he made the woman. 
And he brought the woman to man because she was necessary to him. And the Bible says, when Adam saw her, he said, you are bone of my bone and you are flesh of my flesh. Wow, what a statement. And the, and the love that God intends for, his, for the husband to have for the wife and the wife to have for the husband is a relationship of strength where life is going to be produced through that relationship and strength into a community. And beloved, Ephesians chapter 5 refers to this fact that when Jesus was on the cross, he's the second Adam and God is laying him down. And God, if you will, opened up his side and from the blood of Jesus... Not necessarily from the rib of Jesus, but from the blood of Jesus. God was able now to take from that blood and raise up a people from Jews and Gentiles and join them together as one. And we could be bone of his bone and we can be flesh of his flesh. But even much more than that, I am his body. He is the head of this. He runs it. He operates it. He moves through it. The possibility is the Christ. Jesus is the possibility of it all. He's the hope of the nation. He's the hope of the world. He's the hope for the addicts. He's the hope for your family. Jesus Christ is the hope. And, and, and when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he came and visited the, the, the people in the upper room and he filled them with the Holy Ghost, oh, I'll tell you, on that, on that beautiful morning, it wasn't just 120 people that walked out of an upper room. It was one new man stepping out into the world. I'm telling you, something that had never existed before was suddenly appearing on the earth intending to walk through the nations and testifying of Jesus Christ and define every devil that would get in its way. Amen. It would suffer for this gospel. It would live for Jesus Christ. Its sole desire and purpose was that God would inhabit us. God would empower us. And the Holy Spirit would move through us to lift up Jesus Christ. Amen. And that church, imagine it, as, as I oftentimes do. I imagine this church, this, church, this new man, it, it's kind of like the aliens. The, everybody's talking about UFOs. Everybody's talking about aliens. The church is the alien. It really is. We're, we're, we're a new man in the earth. We're something different. We're a heavenly people. We're born of heaven, born of God, by the will of God, not by the will of man. I mean, oh, if we could get this, we're so unique. And if you could imagine this giant called the church, I mean, this huge giant, like a 400-foot giant, just walking through the earth, who's going to stop me? Who's going to hinder me? Who's going to refuse me? Where is the sickness? Where is the disease? Where is the addiction? Where are the devils? God lives in this house. And that church would march and that church would triumph through the earth. God's mind was always that. And it's never changed. Never changed. I want you to read this with me in Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to see this intent of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, he tells us in verse 15, I, I, I know you love Jesus, so please let this stir your love up for him. He says, after I heard of your faith in, in the Lord Jesus and, and your love to all the saints, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So, so stop, pause. These are born-again people. And just because they're born again, it doesn't mean that things are automatically happening in their life. There are things that Paul is praying they would know, and then he goes back into chapter 3 praying that they would receive it. And this is his prayer. This is my prayer. This is, this is the prayer for believers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Just because you're born again doesn't mean you have that. And your preacher can pray that you have that, but it would certainly be wonderful if you prayed for it. 
And then he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Just because you're born again doesn't mean you see clearly. Maybe you see men walking around like trees. And so it's praying that your, the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That, and this is important, that you may know, and this is what I want to talk to you about tonight, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about a Spirit-filled life, an empowered life by the Holy Spirit, the, the, digging the trenches out and having this, this, this emptiness so the Holy Spirit can come and but fill us. But why are we filled? What is the purpose of it? Why does God want to fill you with the Holy Spirit? Is it, is it for a personal benefit? Is it for a personal blessing? Is it, is it for a, a, a week of joy and a week of excitement and a week of dancing and a week of running and you need a new apostle to come into town next month to give you another touch? What, what, what is the purpose of the Holy Ghost? And please listen to me. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is revealed in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that Jesus would be placed inside of you so that you can be broken by God. That the life of Christ that's in you could come pouring out. Do you understand that? We're, we're being evangelized today with this soft evangelism about, you know, say a sinner's prayer, give your life to Jesus. You'll go to heaven when you die and you're going to be rich and prosperous and you're never going to be sick and you won't ever have a devil bother you again in your whole life and everything's just going to be wonderful. But no, God, listen, God says, I'm going to break you. You're no longer a victim. I'm not, I've had a lot of enemies hit my life. I've had a lot of the enemies of hell come against my life. I'm not a victim in every one of them. I was chosen by God to be broken so that the love of God could pour out of my life, so, so that the testimony of Jesus could come out of me. And now I rejoice in my sufferings and my tribulations because of his power and his grace that rests upon me. I understand now. I understand that God's not failing me because I'm experiencing troubles and persecutions and problems in my life. He's not failing. He's proven himself to be great, and he's proven himself to be greater in me. Because I'm not falling apart and I'm not, I was supposed to be through. I mean, it was supposed to be over. I was supposed to pick the ball up and go home. But God's power in my life kept me strong and kept me going. And this is his testimony through our life. I'm not a victim anymore. I'll never be a victim again in my life. I am a son of God. And, and if it's a good season or a difficult season, and whatever it is, I'm chosen to reveal Christ in that. Amen. I'm chosen to reveal his love, his power, his gospel through whatever engineering. The best sermons we preach are not in pulpits. Some of you have preached the greatest sermons that have ever been preached in California and nobody knows your name, but you preached it at work. You preached it at the bedside of your spouse. You preached it in a hospital room when you wept with a stranger you didn't even know and shared the love of God. You preached better than a lot of preachers do. We've made it so formal, but it's a body, that a man marching through the earth. And he says, I want you to know the hope, the hope of his calling, not your calling. What is his hope? What, what is this all about to God? You love him, don't you? You love God. And certainly, if you love God, you're going to want to know what his hope is. Why, why did you save me? I think I should be on a stage, but you put me in the nursery. I mean, all right, what's your hope in this, God? What is your hope? Why am I here? What are you doing? What are you showing me? And, and the riches of his inheritance is the same. Not my inheritance. It's what he deposited in me. And what did he deposit in me? The Holy Spirit. He wants to get that out of me. Remember what Jesus said? He said that on the great day of the feast, he said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And out of your belly 
shall flow rivers of living water. He didn't say out of my belly. He's speaking of his church. I expect, this is Jesus would say, I expect for my church to be so full of my spirit that in every generation that comes and they're looking for me, I expect them to be able to drink me out of your belly. Because when they come to the church, they're coming to me. And out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke of the Spirit. Don't you want that to flow out of your belly? That just simply means you don't have to be the smartest person in the world. You just have to have a belly. And he can fill it up and he can flow the Holy Ghost out of it. That's what Ezekiel said. Ezekiel said, look, wherever this river goes, it brings life and healing. And, and it's going all over the world. And so what is his hope? I want you to go to chapter 6 of Ephesians. I'm just laying this little foundation here. I wish I had the time to study the whole book with you. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, and I'm reading in verse 12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And if you read the armor, it's the new covenant. It's what Jesus has purchased for you through his blood. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, sword of the Spirit. These are all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus now, Paul now has given us some insight into a conflict. And this conflict is not with you and it's not with me. It's not with flesh and blood. It's with principalities and powers. It's with these cosmic forces that exist in heavenly places and move powerfully throughout the earth, creeping into your homes, trying to rob and trying to destroy, trying to steal, trying to discredit God, trying to weaken your faith, and if possible, take your faith, trying to cause you to fall so far from God to make you think you could never come back to God. And this is what we wrestle with. This is the struggle that we're in. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says there's this God of the world. We all lived under his dominion for some time. And there was the course of the world that he operated in. And the course of the world is like a river. It's a mighty current. And the, and the God of the world, who is Satan, he manufactures everything in the earth to push everything into this river. That, that's why we see things suddenly taking place as though it's overnight, like a trans movement, like a woke movement, like a communist movement. And we wonder, oh my gosh, what happened? You know, what in the world is our, is our nation now totally terrorist friendly? I mean, have we, has the whole nation rejected Israel? What has happened? We're, they're, 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 our college campuses, our, our leading professors, our Ivy League students who are going to be the future presidents and senators and congressmen of our nation are standing up for terrorism? Are you kidding me? What has happened? Well, what's happened is Ephesians chapter 2 says there's a God of this world. There's a course. There's a current or a culture, and there's a spirit that works in the children of unbelief. And what he's doing is he's gathering them and corralling them and putting them all into this culture. And it's happening all over the world. We call it the mind of the Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist. And the whole world's coming together because very soon the whole world's going to worship the Antichrist as God. And it's all moving to that. We wonder, how do these things happen? It's a demonic power. So what is the church here for? And I'm glad you ask. Because God says, this is my hope. Yeah. This is the hope of my calling. Fight him. Yeah. 
Fight him in the halls of Congress. Fight him in your educational institutions. Fight him in the church house. Fight him on your knees. Fight him in prayer. Fight him in fasting. Fight him in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Put on the new covenant of God. Put on the righteousness of God, the peace of God. Put the gospel of peace on your feet and start marching with that truth. And don't let a woke crowd shut you up. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Listen, it's not about it's not about the woke people. It's not about the people of the culture. It's not about people that are bound in some type of an addiction or some type of a sin or some type of homosexual. It's not about that. The devil makes it about that. But it is about the devils that are tormenting people's lives. And the only thing that can set them free is the power of the Holy Spirit. And he lives in us. And if he lives in us, it is the hope of God that we would allow the Holy Spirit to move through us with our gifts. So stop feeling irrelevant. Stop telling yourself that you're no good, that you don't matter. Nobody even cares if you don't show up for church. What a lie. What a lie. Well, I never do anything. I've, I've never felt my liver. I've never felt my heart. What did I do? I've never felt my kidneys. I've never felt them. But I sure thank God for them. I mean, because I think if I felt them, they wouldn't be working right. And so you have no idea what God's doing through your life. And just because you don't see it, it doesn't mean that things aren't happening. Just stay in your place. Live in faith. Keep walking. Keep believing. Let the Holy Ghost come out of you. I I believe there's going to be a lot more people in our congregations that stand in the front of the line before we preachers do. I just believe that. So the hope of God, the riches of His inheritance, we fight spiritual warfare. So I want to come to... The meat of this, it's in chapter 3 of Ephesians. In chapter 2, he reveals the the church. Chapter 3, the church is referred to as a mystery, and Paul is revealing that mystery. And here's the hope of God. It's found in verse 9. The purpose of the church, this is what God desires. It it should matter to us. We love God. I love the Lord. This matters to me. To make all men see. To make all men see. To make all men see. What is the fellowship of the mystery? which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. Do you know what men see today? The abuse of the mystery. The hardness of the mystery. The mystery kills its wounded. The mystery gossips. The mystery slanders. The mystery is abusive. The mystery is sometimes full of hate. The mystery forsakes you. The mystery hurts you. The mystery misunderstands. Talking about the church. And, and for the most part, that's what the world considers when it considers the church. All the factions, all the divisions, all the anger, all the gossip, and the, and the world looks at that. They're not seeing the fellowship of the mystery. If they saw the love of God in the church, we, we wouldn't have buildings big enough. I promise you, this, this culture that is being led by Satan, they're looking for love. They're looking for freedom. They're looking for something to live for. But they look in the church, it's a terrifying place. They'd rather go to a bar where they're going to be accepted than a church where they're going to be rejected. And he goes on and he says this to the intent. This is his intent. I want all men to see the fellowship of the mystery, which from from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent for this purpose, that now, right now, not tomorrow, not a thousand years from now, but right now, so this was 2,000 years ago, that now 
unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Beloved, if you love God, look at verse 10. Without the church, the manifold wisdom of God is not going to be known. It's not going to happen. His manifold wisdom is going to be known by the church. And remember, we're talking about the power of God's spirit in his people. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was his eternal purpose. And so when Paul says in chapter 1, I want you to know the hope of his calling. God is not hoping that you get an emotional jump or run in your step in a, in a conference in La Habra, California. God is hoping that you will believe in faith and surrender in faith and believe in faith that God the Holy Ghost is able to do supernatural things through your life and together with a common body of which Jesus is the head. And he, can, he is able to bring the most destructive blows against every strategy that Satan has in this world. And there is nothing that can stop the church but the unbelief of the church. And there's no power on earth that can withstand the marching of God, the Holy Ghost, in that body we call the church. But apart from the Holy Spirit, there is nothing we can do. There's no program we're going to come up with. I don't care if you have 25,000 people in your church, you're still going to be liberal as a state. There has to be a move of God's spirit in our life to attack principalities and powers that are right now strategically warring against the church of Jesus Christ. Strategically because Satan is smart and he masquerades the attack somehow. So during COVID, he's got to attack a few other institutions as well. But really what I'm trying to do is get the church of Jesus to sit home because I'm trying to turn the curve and bring about a one world empire that I'm going to possess a man to rule. And I want to sit the church on the sidelines. The church of Jesus Christ sat on the sidelines because governments told us to. And we watched. But I'm going to tell you something. All things work together for good and God regrouped that church. And people moved from churches that were not meeting to churches that were meeting and they grew and they got stronger and they became mighty and prayer meetings started and people were getting saved. And Paul says in his epistle, he says, Now, Unto principalities and powers might be known the manifold wisdom of God by the church. So think about it. Think about it. If you know history, from the beginning of time when man fell, the gods rushed in. Demons, powerful, Satan. The, the mastermind, the general of this army, Ephesians 6 sets it up as though it's a military might empire that functions not sporadically, but it functions militarily with strategy. And that dark empire of Satan's kingdom went to work when the man fell against God in the garden. Jesus even recognized Satan as the God of this world, meaning he had rulership in the world. Paul even recognizes Satan in Ephesians chapter 2 as the principalities and powers of the air and the God of this world. And you look back through history and you will find very clearly how these gods dominated society. If you think for one moment that the power of demon possession is the ability to shake a dish in your kitchen, you're greatly mistaken. Rattle some chain in your closet. That's baby stuff. I'm telling you, these demons enter into the minds of politicians and change the laws of God. They change the laws of nature. 
They sneak into your bedroom and tell you to kill yourself. Stop listening to that Christian music. Stop worshiping God. I know you got touched in an altar last night, but I want you to know life's going to be the same Tuesday. The church is going to give you up, and the only people that love you are your friends that really care nothing about you. Turn this music on. Kill yourself. Cut yourself. Drug yourself to death. Those demons creep into your room. Nothing's off limits. For God's sake, they even come into a place like this and say, don't listen to that preacher. Don't listen to what he has to say. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Those powers of the devil, they come and they war with your mind. They try to seep into your heart and lead you where they want you to go and put you into this culture. They rule by fear and domination. They care not for you. They care not for your happiness. They make you promises, but all the time you're signing on the line a death sentence for your life, your family, your friends. You're going to be crushed. You're going to be abused. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be wounded. One day you're going to wake up years from now and say, my God, how did I ever get here? But praise God. All you have to do is come to your right senses and understand Jesus is Savior. And in a second, he'll bring you back into purity in life. In a second. These gods through fear and through domination and through force. And don't underestimate if there is power in that kingdom. They caused kings to bow to them. They set up priests throughout the world on the Ivory Coast, the west coast of Africa, Egypt. Even in the land of God's chosen people, Israel, they worshiped Baal and Ashtoreth and Molech and paid homage to these gods and burnt their babies on their altars. These gods ruled in Rome. They ruled among the Greeks. They ruled in Central America. They ruled against the Aztecs and the Incas. They dominated the Vikings. They led in the Nordic tribes. Odin was some of their most powerful ones. These gods ruled. Their temples were built. Their statues and shrines were on every mountain and every green hill and under every grove of trees. Families and farmers would build their statues in their little temples in their farmlands, hoping that these gods would be favorable to them and give them a good harvest and give them good weather and give them crops. They were scared of the gods. They were not friends with the gods. They were terrified of the gods. Everything they did was to appease the gods. They sang to the gods. They worshiped the gods. They gave their children to the gods. They laid their fortunes at the feet of the gods. There wasn't a place in the world where the gods did not reign. Wherever it might be. Ancient North America. Ancient South America. Central America. The South Pacific with the cannibals. All through Europe and Ireland and Scotland. The gods reigned over man in darkness and beat them to a pulp. Because they hate man until a baby was born. In an obscure village of Bethlehem, the light of the world came. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And this light began to terrorize the darkness. This light began to expose the darkness. John said in his epistle, he appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. He went and he cast the devils out with the power of his word. Men who had been crippled by Satan, Jesus straightened them up. Those that were blinded by the devils, Jesus restored their sight. Jesus showed them the love of a true God, the only God, the one God. Jesus revealed the Father perfectly. The Satan said and tormented the world into believing that he owned the world. He scared men. Men were afraid to travel. You study history, they were afraid to travel. Men were afraid to go into the forest because the forests were full of magic and men were scared. Sailors were scared to sail into the oceans where it was unknown because of mermaids and Poseidon and other gods. They were scared to venture into the deserts because of the gods. The mountains were filled with the gods. 
Everywhere were the gods until Jesus Christ took that cross and he began to march to Calvary. And as he was marching to Calvary, he said, Now is the God of this world cast out. Oh, praise God. Now is the God of this world cast out. And he carried that cross up to Calvary. And he laid his life down on that cross. And he spoiled principalities and powers. Oh my God, listen to me. Satan couldn't beat him when he was a helpless baby in a manger. Satan couldn't beat him when bold hands were nailed to a cross. And Satan can't beat him in this thing we call the church. And that Holy Spirit that had filled Jesus Christ, the light of the world, was now calm upon his people. And the very hope of God is that the works that I've done, you will do. I send you. And Jesus Christ, before he ascended into heaven, he gathered his disciples together to him. And he said to those disciples, I commission you. You go into all of the world because all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and I am with you always. And the church went full of the Holy Ghost. The church went. It drove Poseidon out of the ocean. It pulled the mask off of the demon gods. It chased the gods out of the marketplace. It delivered the masses of people from the fear of the gods. And the church marched and the gospel marched. Rome didn't fall. But the gods of Rome did. You just look now. What, when people go to Rome, what do they go see? The ancient ruins. Why is it ancient ruins? Because the church was there. And Rome fell by the power of the gospel of Jesus and the gospel marched to the Greeks, and the Greeks laid their gods down. There's no longer a Mars hill preaching to all of the gods. The gods have been exposed and they've fallen. No longer do the Viking gods strike terror into her enemies. No longer do the Nordic tribes pull the hearts out of their victims while they're still beating in honor of their gods. No longer do the Aztecs and the Incas worship their gods and cause their nations to be paralyzed with fear because the gospel came, the church came, the church marched in this world. And the church destroyed those things of darkness. That's why you live in a world like this. That's why you live in a world where you're not afraid anymore. You're not afraid. You're not afraid of God. You're not afraid to fly on an airplane. You're not afraid to sail on a boat. You're not afraid to march through a forest. You know there's no magic in it. You know it's not enchanted. And if any devil encounters you, greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. I got no fear. I got no fear. I can go anywhere God tells me to go. I'll go anywhere he tells me to go. I'll do anything he tells me to do. Why? All power has been given unto him. Satan, this isn't yours. It's God's. He told me to come here. But there will be a conflict. Don't you forget it. There will be a conflict. And this gospel, this Jesus Christ living in his church through the power of the Holy Spirit, not the church as we consider it just people of, of belief, but the church full of the Holy Ghost drove that back. And what's happening today? If any man, any man, will hear and open that door I'll come back in and what I did yesterday I'll do today I'm not afraid of any devil I'm not afraid of any nation I'm not afraid of any terrorist you just open that door I'll come in and I'll show you and I'll show this world who I am I will show my manifold wisdom to this earth and I want to open the door and say oh God come in I don't want to do church in a box like religion. 
How long are we going to play with angels? Before we become desperate for the presence of God like Moses. Can't go without your presence, God. Beloved, this is the time. This is the hour. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 that the decline of the culture, the decline of a nation, how Satan begins to get its grip back is when they who know God do not glorify him as God and they're not thankful. That's all it takes. Not them, us. We who know God. We don't glorify God and we're not thankful. I'm not talking about what we do in church. Talk about what we do when we're not in church and the moments of our life when God is always with us. And it says in Romans that when we no longer glorify God and thank Him, our, our minds become vain. Think about All we think about is the next reel we can watch. Our hearts become darkened. We're depressed. There's no hope. Nothing good's ever going to. America's gone. If we could just get the right president, what a dark heart. And then we become fools and we think we're wise. And then we change the, the image of the uncreated God into an image like created things. And we begin to worship that. And then once we change God, we change his word to say something else that it doesn't say, which the pressure's on today for churches and denominations to change the word of God, to be acceptable and palatable for this generation. And then after we change that, we don't want to talk about God. Don't even tell me about God. I don't want to hear about God. And the nation becomes reprobate. It becomes reprobate. I like to watch football. I um, most exciting part of a football game is when it's close and it's the last part. Last couple of minutes, the two-minute warning. Sometimes Carla would say, she likes football more than me, but she's doing something. She'll say, would you come and help me do something? I said, baby, let me finish the game. Two minutes left, and they all have six timeouts. <laughs> that could be like 30 minutes, 45 minutes, you know? And so that's it. But let me tell you something, beloved, the, the clock, is ticking. No timeouts. No timeouts. Could you imagine? Could you imagine Mahomes? Critical part of the game. Wait, wait, guy, I gotta check my social media here. See who's posting on FaceTime. Okay, let's get back to the game. Could you imagine that? And that, that, how much how many hours you spend watching reels? How many times do we want to send something out so we can see how many likes we get to see if we're popular today? We thrive off of that. And the clock is ticking. And what is the hope of God? One more friend on Facebook. That's what I really hope for you. You know what I really hope for? I hope that a thousand people like your message today. That, is that the hope? No, that's not the hope of God. The hope of God is that he, I want my son to be seen. I want my son to be known. And, and I want you to know something, guys. It's the two-minute warning. It's less than the two-minute warning. The end of the world is here. As in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The world is at war. Let me read you something that um, Amir Zafati put out. I, I just want you, to, I want you to see this or hear this. The events of the last seven days in the Middle East and the world prove what no one wants to admit in words. We are already in a world war. Iran attacks Syria, Iraq, and Pakistan. Yemen attacks the U.S. and the U.K. vessels. Iraqi militias attack Israel. Israel attacks in Lebanon and Gaza and the West Bank. Russia attacks Ukraine. China is threatening Taiwan. Turkey attacks the Kurds. North Korea is attacking an island in South Korea. Parallel to the U.S. strikes in Yemen, reports on the Jordanian strike in Syria on drug smugglers who operate on behalf of the pro-Iranian militias. Israel strikes in Gaza and Lebanon and the Jordan strikes in Syria. The U.S. and the U.K. are at war in Yemen and Iran with Syria and Pakistan. Above all things, without any doubt, we are in world war already right now and practically nobody knows it. 
And beloved, I just say, wake up. Oh my God, wake up. Wake up to the hope of God and the call of God and the purpose of God. This is the hope of God. This is why God wants to fill us with the Holy Spirit, to make soldiers out of us. For us to be able to march into this world and, and confront the powers of darkness with the power of God's Holy Spirit. I want you to stand with me. I, I, I want to read just a couple of things just before we play or do anything else. Let's just continue to be quiet for a moment. Listen to what this man said. Brothers and sisters, we don't have much time left. Starting now, those who have wives should be as the same as those who don't. It should not be important whether you are sad or whether you are happy. If you buy something, it should not matter to you that you own it. You should use the things of the world without letting them become important to you. This is how you should live because this world, the way it is now, will soon be gone. That is a revised edition of the Apostle Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 7. He also says, be very careful how you live. Live wisely, not like fools. I mean that you should buy up your time, use every opportunity, redeem the time for doing good because these are the evil times. Don't be foolish with your lives, but learn what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, which will ruin your life, but be filled with the Spirit. Encourage each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord. Give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be willing to serve each other out of respect for Christ. The time is at hand. I just want you to know it's ticking. The clock is ticking. A couple of weeks ago, I was writing and I just wrote this down. My heart is really desiring young people tonight. I believe it's the spirit of the Lord. Jesus gathered around himself young people. With the exception of maybe Judas and Peter, perhaps Matthew, most of the disciples were late teens, early 20s. He picked them to deposit his spirit in. To change the world. He's picking you. You're not here tonight as an accident. But we don't have much time. Live as though you mean to die. Live as though you mean to die. And live while you live. You have a race to run. Millions of men do not know who the Lamb of God is. They are not worshiping God. They're worshiping in fear at the altars of devils. And it's God's hope that you will get there. Not because of you, but because of the deposit of His Spirit He put in you. In all you do, do not neglect your course. When you lay dying, you will not regret that you spent so much time preaching. You will not regret the tracks that you passed out, the amplifiers that you set up to preach on the corners, or the missions that you supported. You'll regret the offering you didn't give tonight. You'll regret that you exhausted yourself in the work of a kingdom that's going to burn up. You will never regret that you worked for his kingdom. You'll never regret that you wore your body out serving Jesus. You will not regret the people that you forgave, the lives that you served the gospel to, political campaigns, social projects, humanitarian improvements. What are these if people die without the gospel? Education, medicine, city developments, engineering feats. What are these in a world where people will die no matter what you do and the cities will be burned up and made new by Jesus? 
What are they when you had the chance to build the kingdom of God and advance the gospel? What haunts dying people is the dull life that they lived. What they did not do for Jesus. The people they did not love. The people they did not forgive. The value they placed on what they cannot keep. The sermons they didn't preach. That they spent no time weeping for love's sake over their family and their friends. Their wasted opportunities to love Jesus. Turn the show off. Slip away into a prayer closet. Say, Jesus, your presence is heaven to me. Just to be with you. They will regret their need for popularity, for power, for money, for careers. They will neglect, regret that. Beloved, when we shall come before Christ in heaven, let there be no regret. Don't regret the offerings that you did not give. The money you held on to. The poor and the hungry that were unfed as a result. The family members you did not warn because the children you were afraid to offend. When we fall down before his feet and worship him, let us fill up his crown with jewels and surround his throne with trophies of people that once belonged to Satan, but rescued by the blood of the Lamb. While it is called today work, for the night comes when no man can work. Listen to me. Very soon, very soon, it will all be over. Very soon, the last missionary will get on that plane and leave his or her family and fly to some distant place and march through a jungle and bring the gospel to a people that have never heard. Very soon, the last one will go. Very soon, Kyle, it may be you. Tony, it may be you. And you're out there sharing the gospel and heart begins to turn to Jesus and you take their hand and you get on your knees with them and say, let's pray. And they pray with you and they give your hearts to Jesus and boom, the rapture happens because God was waiting. That was the last one, Tony. That was the last one. I was waiting for that one more, Tony. And it was you that prayed with them. It was you. We are the most blessed people to live in this hour. The most blessed. The outpouring of God's Spirit is absolutely incredible. More people are coming to Christ right now over the last 10 years than have ever come in the history of our world. But there's billions that don't know. You want something to live for? Live for, the, live for Jesus. Live for this gospel. Live for this kingdom that has power over hell. That has power over addiction. Quit laughing at the life of Christians and quit being repelled from Jesus because of the false Christians that you said. Come be the real deal. Amen. Quit standing back, pointing your finger at everything that's weak and everything that's false and everything that's fake. And young people, come be the real thing. Come let the Holy Ghost hit you. Let the Holy Ghost touch you. Let the Holy Ghost give you the courage to bring the light of God into the darkness of your society. Your friends that are cutting themselves up. Your friends that are worshiping devils. Your friends that are doing seances and having contact with demons. And they can't sleep at night because they hear voices in their rooms. In the name of Jesus Christ by his precious blood. Go stop that devil before he kills your friend. Come on. Time is running out. This is the hope of God. This is God's hope. I want to ask Listen, I, I'm putting you on the spot. I want to ask for young people. I'm not asking for a jump. I'm not asking for a run. I'm not asking for a shout. I'm asking for a people, a young people with a sober mind that would say, I want to be filled with God's Spirit because I want the power to live a life that goes the distance, that runs the race, that finishes the course, that doesn't run because the devil shows up. 
I want to have the strength and the power of the Holy Ghost in my life to stand that ground. Because even if I have to stand it alone, I know there are more for us than there are against us. And I will see the glory of God like Stephen did when he was all by himself. But he saw the Lord stand up to receive. I want to be that Stephen today. I want to be that Samuel. I want to be that David. I want to be that Joshua. I want to be that John. I want to be that man. I want to be that Mary. I want to be that Ruth. I want to be that person who goes all the way with God. I want to ask, listen, I I, I hate to put an age limit on this, but I'm, I'm asking you anybody 30 years and younger. I just, please listen, I believe this in my spirit, but anybody 30 years and younger, would you come up here right now and say, I want the touch of God on my life. I want you to stand. I don't want you to kneel. I want you to stand. I want you to stand because I want us to do something. Listen, God's going to put his touch on your life. Young people, we need you. God needs you. Everything God's calling you to, God can do and God will do. Come live in me.